On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. Can you keep all four of them? Tavares, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews. We can, and, and we will. He gets free. Shoots Matthews, Okay, I uh, just finished up episode five uh, of All or Nothing, the uh, Amazon Prime Toronto Maple Leafs documentary series, which focused on the playoff series against Montreal, and we all know how that ended. Uh, we did get a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff at the end of the game, and, you know, the picture being painted of how distraught they were, all that stuff. Uh, we'll get to it. Um, you know, there, there there was some focus here on, on injuries. We had Felino coming back. We had Hyman coming back. Uh, someone else. Bogosian had also, you know, injured his shoulder. So they're getting healthy at the right time. And there's this focus on, you know, all the way back to, you know, Toronto and Montreal. It hasn't happened since 1979 and these classic rivals and stuff. And honestly, for me, it was sort of... Even at the time that the series was going down back in May, the league just feels like it's changed so much. Like this forever rivals thing. I don't know. I, maybe it's the age I grew up in. Like obviously, I hate the Bruins. Um, I hate the Senators from those you know earlier matchups. I hate the the Habs, but it's more the this sense of superiority that their fan base carries around than than anything else. Uh, I don't. Some of the stuff from back to like 1979 just feels a little forced. It's a very different league now. It's a very different world now. Uh, I don't care about the original six stuff because I wasn't around for the original six stuff. And it just, I don't know. I get why it was a storyline. I get why it was a focus. But as someone in his mid-30s, it just didn't mean that much to me, even when the series was going on. And now, uh, obviously, this documentary, it was worthwhile focusing on, I guess, because it it obviously did have that meaning to a lot of people. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, the way the league is just so different now and everything, it, it just feels 
maybe a little bit overplayed. Um, obviously, it starts off with, you know, Keith going into game one. You know, we've accomplished everything we set out to. We've won the division. We've set ourselves up for success. But everything that we've been building towards all year starts now, right? It, it gets real now. It's a new book. It's a new chapter. It's a new page. And he's very positive. He's very upbeat as I set this out. And we're not even like, I don't know, what, three minutes, four minutes into, you know, the coverage of game one before the Tavares thing happens. And I mentioned I really hated the teaser that they used. Um, At the end of episode one, they did this kind of, um, here's everything that's coming up, right? And they showed shots of different moments and different arguments and, you know, different things to get you hooked on the series so you would stick around for episodes two through five. But one of them that they used to close it out as they faded to black was the Tavares injury and the team panicked around him and stuff like that. And I thought it was a really shitty thing to do to use that as promotion, right? As a, as a hook or as a commercial. I, I thought that was really gross and, you know, it kind of bugged me. Now that we're here, and I mean, it's a documentary that has followed the whole team for the whole season. Um, I get it. You have to cover it, right? Like now it's, it's a huge part of the story. It's a huge part of everything. So I sort of get it, but this was terrifying. It was horrible to watch when it happened live back in May, but you were at a, you were kept largely at a diff distance, right? The cameras zoomed back. Um, you couldn't hear everything that was being said. Um, but that big empty building going dead silent like that, the whole thing, it was tough to watch and it was really hard to give a shit about the rest of the game afterwards. It's harder here up close there are moments where you can hear Tavares screaming and moaning like he doesn't understand what's happened. He's clearly had his... He's been knocked loopy, right? He was unconscious, and now he's woke up, and he doesn't remember how he got there or what's happening, and he's... There's at least one, like, scream where you're like, oh my god, this is fucking uncomfortable. Hyman is clearly panicked. A lot of the guys on the team are... You can hear Simmons loudly yelling, stay down, John, lie down, lie down, John, they're gonna help you. Like, the the panic around the team as this is going on is is very difficult and obviously to hear John who's terrified um you know it's tough to watch and it was very uncomfortable to be up close to it while they're mic'd you know the cameras zoomed in these sorts of things it was a different type of and and a more personal and up close uncomfortable than it was to watch during the actual broadcast back in May um the referees at this point are trying very hard to convince the Leafs, even before Tavares is off the ice, there's nothing malicious here. There's nothing malicious. He got hit, and as Perry's going by, his he, he clipped him in the head. And it's true. That is what happened, right? Um, there were people pissed at Perry, and Perry has not earned the benefit of the doubt very often, right? He's... He's got some history with the disciplinary office there around the league. He's a chippy player. He does what he has to do in the playoffs. But Tavares goes down, and he's as he's kind of spinning to the ice, Perry tries to kind of jump over him, but his knee gets buried in, in Tavares' head. It wasn't intentional. Um, but you can see that the, the Leafs aren't prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt. Most of them haven't seen it. Right, and there's a point where Keith, who also clearly hasn't gotten a good enough look at it, is asking a couple of his players, "You know, was it intentional? What'd you see?" But the refs badly want 
the temperature to come down quickly, you know, that this isn't intentional. There was nothing malicious there. And Felino says to the ref, well, that's my captain sitting on the ice. I got to do what I got to do. And he goes, hey, you'll do what you got to do. But I'm telling you, there's nothing malicious here. It was not intentional. Um, so they're trying to to ratchet that down. And there is a bit of a huddle before, you know, once John's taken off the ice and, um, you know, as to what they're going to do and how they want to handle it. And and Felino says, I'm going after him. And, and you can see it right away as he's skating out to the face off. Hey, hey, like we're doing this. And Perry does it. And I don't know how bad I want to relitigate this whole conversation because we did it the night after or the first show, the first Talking Audio podcast after all this happened. The necessity of the fight between Felino and Perry. And I said at the time, they haven't... I, it was stupid. Of course it was stupid. Most hockey fights are. But if you live in this hockey culture and you live in a world where you pretend that hockey can't exist without fights and all these sorts of things, then this is part of the code. And everyone who watched on TV got to see over and over and over and over this wasn't intentional. There are no fans in the building, so they're not running replays of John Tavares getting his head destroyed on the big screen for the teams to look back and see. They are in the heat of the moment. They are emotional, and they see a guy with a questionable history who's been responsible for what just happened to John Tavares. I think... From the fans' perspective, it's very easy for us to go, yeah, that was a stupid reason to fight, because it probably was. But when you see up close the emotion, and I've seen other people you know, taking the opposite from this, uh, from this documentary, that it reinforces how unnecessary the fight was. You can see how emotional everybody is. You can see how badly they're concerned. And you can see, you know, Felino, who's a leader and an older player himself, you know, wants to try and get this back on track in that weird hockey way. But also he says numerous times to the referee, to his teammates, to whatever, uh, to the media after the game, because that's our captain laying on the ice. Like I'm going to do something about it. And I just, I have a little bit more sympathy for why he chose to do it. You know, after being this up close and how shocked people were, uh, how upset they were. And the fact that they didn't see a hundred replays like we did, right? They're emotional. They're in the moment. They see that it was Corey Perry. Fuck that guy, right? I kind of get it. I kind of get it in as much of a way as I'm ever going to get some of these hockey fights. In this case, I sort of go, yeah, okay. I, I have, I have more tolerance for why it happened this time than maybe I did back then. Um, just, you know, being taken, you know, that much back inside it. Uh, the rest of the series, there isn't a whole lot like they're showing what's happening and um, you know, the everybody seems pretty jovial when they're up three to one. Uh, I had sort of forgotten. I knew he had played reasonably well in the series, but in game five before Galchenyuk coughs it up in overtime uh, leading to the Montreal goal, that he had had a very good game, uh, a goal and two assists, a goal and an assist. Like he had been instrumental in them t- coming back to tie that game up. So that was interesting to see, and it's interesting to see that they took the time to leave that in before he becomes the ultimate, <laughs> you know, the goat on the play. Um, so that was an interesting, you know, editorial choice, I guess you'd call it, on just how they wanted to uh, to do this. Game six, everyone's been talking about the speech during game six intermission between the third period and overtime, and you know, maybe again, this is a star maker moment for Sheldon Keefe and, you know, 
it's certainly the longest one that's in the series. Uh, you know, I don't know if they've been clipping some of his speeches and shortening them um, to make them fit, or if this is just, and they left this full one in, or if this really was the longest one that he had given um, during the playoffs. There is an impassioned speech in the game six intermission between the third period and overtime where he's saying these are the moments right this is when people remember nothing else matters now if you get this done it's all gone and he calls out Matthews and Marner and Hyman's line by name and says you guys are getting fucking dominated and if you recall in game six in that overtime Matthews had several glorious chances now whether he always was going to get those chances or whether that line was motivated by being called out. That's open to interpretation. You can make your own call on that, but they, they do talk, you know, at length in this intermission about you can put everything else to bed. You can forget all of this. Um, you know, you can make every other storyline go away. If you do it now, this is when top teams are made. This is when top players are made. We can do this, right? And uh, the whole time that you're hearing him speak, you're like, I already know how this ends. Like, it's a little rough. Um, but they do go out and dominate that that overtime. And I can't remember now exactly whether the shots were 10 to 1 or 11 to 1 or whatever it was before uh, before Montreal came down and cost, uh, cut Kanyemi scores. Uh, he now of the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, to send it to Game 7. And there's just this, like, deflating... Uh, here we go. How are we here again? Right. And so before game seven, you know, there, there, there's a meeting. Um, I guess it's the day in between game six and game seven where Sheldon Keefe is extremely upbeat. It's extremely positive. He goes, it had to happen this way. It's supposed to be hard guys. This is the way it has to go. And you know, so he's, he's telling them, you know, this is, we're going to have the whole world watching as we kind of slay the dragon. Right. And he's, putting as positive of a spin on it as he can. But there's a thing that happens at the end of all of these meetings that he's called and at the end of most of his intermission speeches, except when he's being really hard on them, where there's normally like a big kind of round of applause. Like the guys all go, yeah, guys, like let's... It's a very muted applause. Like they all clap, but there's none of the hooting and hollering that's gone on through the entire documentary when you've seen these. I don't know if that means anything. I don't know if that can be read into as just, you know is the team already down and defeated or was it just not that kind of meeting? I, I don't know, but to me that stood out that there wasn't that kind of, um, you know, excitement or response to the coach's speech that there had been for the entire, you know, first four episodes of the series, uh, spanning the season. So, you know, it's clearly in their heads a little bit. Uh, there's a moment where Paul McLean, who is one of the assistant coaches, but he's not on the bench, um, during the games, he's kind of an eye in the sky, but it's pretty clear uh, Sheldon Keefe values his opinion. And there is a point before game seven where he says, you know, the t- the thing that's in their way right now is just them. Like, the, the only thing that can stop this team is this team. Um, and he, he uses a line, I'm paraphrasing a little, but I'm going to try and have it as close as I can. He goes, and they can slay the demons. And they got demons everywhere. They got demons every, uh, They got demons in their car. They got demons under their bed. Every time they fucking turn around, there's demons. And, you know, referring to this history, both for this franchise over the long term, but also this group with the, the Columbus stuff and the Boston stuff and everything else that's gone. The, the fucking goalie, right? The, the Zamboni driver goalie. 
he's kind of everywhere these guys look, there's something, right? And so he sort of suggests you should just take Matthews aside privately and then take Marner aside privately. Just remind them how good they are. Like, doesn't have to be anything crazy, but kind of hype them back up, remind them it's one game, just kind of get this done. And so that there's fucking demons everywhere thing is a line that sticks with you as you leave this episode. And um, Dubis has a one-on-one conversation. I didn't love this mainly because of the cameras, right? I didn't feel like it was performed, but I did feel like if your whole thing is trying to pull Mitch Marner aside and give him a pep talk and get him to block out the outside world while he knows everybody's mic'd and on camera... Uh, it's probably one of those moments you wish you hadn't agreed to this documentary, right? Because it was a little uncomfortable. And he is clearly devastated already. Like Kyle's bringing him in to say, I need you to be yourself. Like you are one of the world, uh, you know, league's top players when you're yourself. And I don't want you to be too down going into this game because, you know, I need, you know, I think you're at your best when you're yourself. Every response he gives is very like a kid who's been called to the principal's office. Like it's, and I don't know with the, you know without the cameras I don't I still don't know whether this would have been a good idea you know to put that extra whatever on them I know they're trying to relieve some pressure or some stress or whatever I don't know that it had that effect but with the cameras and the microphones for sure I can tell you this didn't help uh, or at least didn't seem like it like his whole voice is I just expect better of myself right like he's already very ah uh, I don't know he wasn't sending off positive vibes and maybe i should mention before going any further here since i sort of skipped over it at the beginning we don't almost ever get any sort of inside looks at mitch marner's life through the media or you know even his social media is very uh polished let's call it but at the beginning of this episode it shows he and i think he got married this summer after the documentary either that maybe got engaged uh but him and his longtime girlfriend slash fiance slash wife i have no idea and they're out on an off day, you know, walking and, you know, playing with the dog. And it, it you do sort of get this, um, it, like, more laid back version of Mitch and to see what he's like a little bit outside the rink. And uh, they tell the story of how they met. And, you know, I guess they had known each other as kids, but she went to Western when he was playing for the Knights. And, and they, she does use the term, he slid into my DMs, which was, which was pretty funny. Um, they hit it off and been together ever since and stuff. So you did get to see... I think knowing how heavy this episode, you know, I'm sure they were going to use this somewhere in the series, uh, but using it here, knowing how heavy this is about to get for him was a nice counterbalance to start off the episode kind of showing, you know, laid back Mitch, regular guy, Mitch, just trying to have a life Mitch right outside the rink before what he's going to go through here late, um, later in the episode. So interesting, again, kind of, uh, editorial choice on how you put that together and um, in what order. So that was interesting. And then game seven, it it goes like we all know it goes. Uh, they're down by two, I believe, in the second intermission. And Morgan Riley and Jason Spezza are the ones talking the most. Uh, Morgan Riley gives a bit of a speech and, you know, but what they got it. Jason Spezza is full of righteous indignation as he, he starts talking and then he's standing up and he's talking louder and louder and saying, we can't control what happens after these 20 minutes, but for 20 minutes, we have a stay still like a little bit more, a little bit fucking more. Right. And he's, he's pushing them and he's really trying to, to lead and, and get everybody stirred up, but they just look already like 
man, like, I can't believe this is happening again has sort of crept in, right? And uh, there is an interview with Morgan Riley, you know, as they're showing highlights of the third period where he goes, there are points in these big games where time is just completely lost. And he goes, and you look up and you see the clock and you go, I can't believe, like, what has happened to the rest of this game? And, you know, when your season's getting counted down on like that. And, uh, you know, they, they go out with a whimper. Um, you know, no one was particularly focused on, I guess, in the aftermath. Um, they don't show like the post game speech from the coach or anything, if there was one at all, but this group is devastated. It's crushed. I don't know whether it was some magic by the editing team or whether this was actually the case, but it appears that Mitch and Austin were the last two to leave the locker room still with their heads kind of bowed and one in a towel. Um, you know, maybe you were able to just get that shot and make it look that way. Or maybe that was really the case. I, I don't know, but, um, you know, certainly painted them as taking it extremely hard. And, uh, you know, everybody did the heads are bowed all over the place in the aftermath. There's Spezza's consoling Jack Campbell, who says in the post game press conference that, uh, you know, the, the one nothing goal, I believe it was, is the worst goal of my career and to give it up in a game seven, you know, is not acceptable and go away and work harder. And it sort of closes um, with the same people who've been focused on through this whole thing. Kyle and, and Keith. First, Kyle says, I have never seen a team that I've been involved with uh, take their final, you know, this distraught is the word he used, like this devastated by a, a, an elimination or a loss. Um, and I think trying to really sow and really make sure for the cynical Toronto fan base, I think he's really trying to do his guys a favor and like they care, they care badly for whatever people say that they don't care. They're just rich kid millionaires and whatever. He wants to make sure you leave this, this series with, uh, you know, with some sort of sense that these guys do really care. And, and so he's making sure, you know, he's never seen a group this distraught before. And then Keith with, you know, I guess what's supposed to be the final line of the documentary, maybe like a takeaway, maybe sounding wise, whatever. And it just says, you know, we didn't reach our goal, all this stuff, but it ends with uh, just because you didn't win doesn't mean you cannot win or you will not win. It just means you haven't arrived yet. So, you know, in a different world, that would probably be the cliffhanger for season two. There was talk that the Leafs were approached to have this done again and said, no, thank you. We respectfully decline. Um, and that other teams were approached and, and no one really lined up. So there won't be an all or nothing in, for an NHL team this year. Doesn't mean they won't do it again down the road. But uh, yeah, this one was heavy and you do see it a lot. Um, I don't know, like I said, the Austin and Mitch being last in the room thing, whether that was real. If it was real, was it, I don't again, performative is too strong of a word, but you know, do you just sort of know I'm supposed to be devastated, so I better sit here and look devastated? Like, I don't know. That's a very cynical way to look at it, but it is possible. Or maybe they were. Maybe they were. They understood they were two of the top five scorers in the league this year, and they did not get it done again. And, you know, what is it going to take? Um, that's possible, too. So, you know, they wanted that to be, you know, sewn into your, uh, to your memory how devastating this was and I guess in that regard, if it was real, it was sort of reassuring to see that it wasn't, 
you know, in the post-game press conferences, you know, that the, were done publicly uh, for the media, they all look disappointed and distraught. But again, you sort of know you're supposed to. When you actually see inside the locker room, it it was that, right? It did have that vibe. This group knows. And, uh, and Keith says after the game, you know, they're getting ready for team photos and whatever else a day or two later, like, you know, this group will not be together again. And he doesn't mean it's being torn down, but inevitably every year people retire, people leave, people get traded, people sign somewhere else with free agents, new guys come in. That group was done, right? And and wouldn't be back. So, and we've seen it as we sit here now and camp's open, there's been a fair bit of turnover again. Uh, the core is back, but there's t- change. And yeah, um, so I think we'll leave this here and I think I will do one more kind of summarizing the whole series, final thoughts on it. Uh, you know, just cause it's Thursday. I said there'd be a week of these. We'll, we'll do a Friday one as well. Right. Um, but that one covering the playoffs covering, um, you know, the Tavares injury, it was good to see. They did show him what I think was between games five and six, maybe, you know, back at the rink, talking to guys, um, feeling a little bit better. If you recall, he did get out on the ice and skate around for 15, 20 minutes, um, the thing that people forget is with the knee to the head, it was also a knee injury that he suffered that was also going to be an issue had they advanced as to whether or not he was going to be able to get back in the lineup or not. Um, we never find out the answer to that, obviously, but it was two things that to get back on the ice was as much to see how his knee was as anything else. So, um, you know, they sort of checked in on, on him before the series ended and showed you that, you know, he's, he's back up and he's doing okay anyway. So, uh, you know interesting thing and you know to to get this sort of up close perspective of it I think it was important that you did see him doing well and talking to guys at the rink again after how close they brought you to the injury um, which was like I said very uncomfortable to watch it was almost necessary that you find a way to bring him back in and and show people that he's doing all right so uh, yeah this was interesting to get in see you know, the, some of the behind the scenes of how things evolved and just how much they tensed up as the series went on. Paul McLean's lines, uh, line about there being fucking demons everywhere they turn. Um, you know, and that's not going away. We assume this year they'll have a good um, regular season and then they're going to have to face this again. Be a different opponent, most likely, but you're still going to have to answer those questions internally. You're still going to have to fight those fucking demons out from under the bed, right out from out of your car every time you turn around. So um, it was interesting in that regard as the playoffs series portion of this went on to see the, the, the grip on the sticks tightening and the tension seeping in and um, how that all went. So this was an all right episode. Uh, interesting way to kind of wrap it up. When you lose, there is no happy ending, right? There was no, they made no effort to try and positive spin it at the end, they just showed the somber locker room and, you know, some quotes from Keith and Dubas and they went, you lost. And if you're covering a sports, you know, a season with a sports franchise, really good chance. That's how it's going to end is being eliminated, whether it's before the playoffs or during the playoffs or in the championship game, only one team wins. So it's a roll of the dice to see if you're ever going to end up behind the scenes with the winner um, but, uh, to see this franchise in particular and everything it's been through, um, you know, was, it was interesting in that regard, but like I said, we'll summarize some of this stuff and, and just what the whole thing looked like, uh, on Friday at noon, 
Uh, we'll, we'll put out one final episode of Tall or Nothing. Uh, so we will see you then on uh, Friday afternoon. Until then, my name is Matt Robinson. We'll see you later.